Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. We'll be jumping around a little bit in Matthew, but go ahead and turn to Matthew <coughs> chapter 14 and verse 22. <clears throat> Don't raise your hand, but think. Are you one of those people that does online quizzes? Which apostle of Christ are you? I hadn't done one until this week, and I did four. They all four were wrong. It was amazing. All, all four of them were different. I was like, you know, I was, I was kind of, I was preparing for this sermon, and I was, you know, kind of thinking of what's the angle I want to go with this? What kind of title do I want to put, do I want to put on this? And I was thinking, you know, what disciple are we most likely? Which disciple speaks most to who we are as believers? And I was like, well, I'm going to take a quiz and see. So the first quiz, I put in all the information. It's so, like, if you, if you know the Gospels, you know the angle. Do you doubt things? Are you trying to say that I'm Thomas? Come on. Do you speak before thinking? Are you calling me Peter? Do you just love everybody? Oh, I'm John. And so I went through, and the first one, I think it called me James. And it gives a, like, nice, a really nice description of why you're James. And I'm like, ooh, Yeah. That's why I'm James. And then you take the next one. It's, oh, you're Andrew. Oh, yeah. And then who else was I? John at one point. And so I was thinking, like, what disciple truly describes who I want to be? And I know this is going to seem crazy. But I hope we're all like Peter. Like, well, Peter did some really foolish things. I think that's the point. We do really foolish things. Like we have one side of Peter down. We've got it. I've got the foolishness down. I've got the part where I make decisions without thinking and get myself into trouble. I do that. But how about the other side of Peter? Like Peter is a great character. If you, look, if you read through the Gospels and look at Peter, you go, wow, what a, what a person. Like him and John run to the tomb. John gets there first. Peter just plows on in. Like they go up to the Mount of Transfiguration before he has really time to think about anything. Peter speaks up. Like God himself is speaking to you and you speak up? That's pretty bold. But then you read Acts and it's like, wow, that's impressive. And then you read First and Second Peter and you go, wow, that's mature. It's incredible to see how Peter has just morphed into what he became. Seeing what he can be and was but then what he became or what the potential was in his life. What disciple best describes you? I hope that we can conclude that Peter is actually a really good example. Often we talk the big game. We talk the big talk saying like, Jesus, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. And then something happens. And we find ourselves not following Jesus to, to the ends of the earth. And sure, we can cast blame on whatever reasons put us back. We can point our fingers at people who are hypocrites, people that, were, that got in our way and said, well, I just can't serve you know, with that person in the church or whatever it is. We can come up with really good reasons why we can't be that. But can we come up with really good reasons why we should despite those things? On a daily basis, do you walk the walk? You probably are like Peter with the lows. 
But hopefully, despite those, we still have the highlights. Look at the first instance here in Matthew 14, 22. We see them both back to back. We see both of them back to back, the high point and the low point. We're talking about Peter's trust. Peter's trust in Jesus Matthew 14, 22 says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Just a side point here, or I guess something that, that proves this point. They're alone. They have a lot of confidence in Jesus when he's with them. But when they're by themselves, it seems like storm comes up and panic sets in. It's like not really knowing the character of Jesus and that he truly is there for us all the time can get us into some serious trouble with doubting. Is where is Jesus in the storm? I mean, in this case, where is Jesus in the storm? In their minds. He went up to a mountain to pray. And now we're in the middle of the sea with this storm. I've never been in a boat in a storm. Has anybody in here been in a boat in a storm? Is it terrifying? I would assume that, well, I guess the bigger the boat, the better it handles the storm. But <laughs> Navy man right here. Yeah, that's why the Navy has really big boats. You don't, you don't deal with the storm. The waves just hit the side of the boat and it's no big deal. But if you're in a little boat in a big storm, you have a lot of problems on your hand. Uh, you've got some issues. They were not on an aircraft carrier or some big battleship in the Sea of Galilee. They're in a, a, fishing, a fishing boat. And so they're being tossed by the, the waves, and they are in a difficult place, and Jesus is not with them. Verse 24 said, But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. This is dark time. Jesus walking on the sea. Verse 26, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. I love that. You are fearing for your lives. Hey, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. In the midst of that storm, put a smile on that face. What? We're going to drown. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter speaks up. Peter answers. He would be the one that speaks up. And said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Why would this... I love this. If you put yourself in this situation... Who would say that? Who would say that? In a, in a shallow pool, I would say, Jesus, I'm going to try to walk on this calm water in a bright sunny day in four foot deep water. Can I do it? Sure, come on out. But in the midst of a storm, in the middle of the lake, I don't think to step out of the boat. That is not the first thing that crosses my mind. If it's you, Lord... Stop the storm? Like that, that makes a little bit more sense to me. But no, he says, let me walk out on the water then. I mean, that's, that's pretty bold and that's pretty confident right off the bat. 
And what does Jesus say? Come. Come on out, Peter. And when Peter was come, come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. He actually walked on the water. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? In Jesus' mind, Peter had very little faith in that point. Stepping out on the water, walking towards Jesus in the midst of this storm, but he had little faith. Why? Because he took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink. Incredible. Incredible. I've looked at like, I don't know if you've seen movies about like the life of Jesus and a portrayal of this. Usually they have Peter going down about like 10 feet below the water before he actually gets taken out. And he's like, I don't know. It says immediately. So in, uh, in my mind, which, you know, this is just my mind. You can have schumatology here. You can have whatever version you want. Um, he gets down to about his waist. Okay. Immediately. We don't know how close he got to Jesus or how it all looked, but he does start sinking and he cries out, Lord, save me. What caused him to sink? Fear. Absolutely. Fear. Fear caused Peter to lose his trust. Even though he was currently walking on water, he was in the midst of doing something incredible still the storm got him. Still looking around and seeing the waves and and everything that was taking place got to him. And how do we usually think of this story, Peter walking on the water, this part of it, right? Falling, falling. Do we ever do that? Do we ever find ourselves in the middle of like a violent storm in our life where we just don't see, we don't know what the Lord is possibly doing? And then we, then we turn to Jesus and we say, Lord, this storm just came up. I'm, I'm looking to you. I'm doing the Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 thing. I am trusting in the Lord with all my heart and leaning not unto my own understanding. In all my ways, I'm acknowledging him, and he's going to direct my path. And we say things like that, and we get into that storm, but then the storm doesn't stop. And then what? When we don't see Jesus working in the midst of the storm we turn to something else or we panic and we say, God, have you forsaken me? Did you, did you, do you not remember that I'm in the middle of this storm, that I'm going through this? And where are you? We must look at our storm as being much smaller than our God. We have to see God as being who he is, the creator of the universe the ordainer of everything, the one who sent his son to die on the cross for our sins and that he loves you and he loves me. We look at him in that way and our storms hopefully seem a lot smaller and we don't have to go through a complete panic. What do I do now? What do I do? Nothing. Sometimes that's, that's the only thing you can do. Nothing. Pray. Thank God. Look to him and keep walking on. We must look at God as being bigger than our storm. I think a great example of that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they're faced with the fiery furnace and they're brought before the king, 
And they said, we're not careful to answer you. Our God is very capable of saving us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. Like that is. Where is God in that point? Where is God there? They walked into the furnace. They didn't see God until they should have been dead, you know? In their minds, it was all done. Like, okay, boys, here we go. Walk into the fire. We weren't, we're not going to bow down. We're still servants of God, even if this kills us. Here we go. And they walked in. And then the miracle happened. It wasn't like they knew the story. <laughs> they didn't know what was coming. They didn't know, oh, wait, man, I, can't, I really hope that fourth man shows up. Because we're in trouble if not. They didn't think that. You know what they thought? Here we go. I'm, I don't want to tear up, but they probably looked around at each other and hugged and cried and said, we love you. Love you guys. All right, let's go. And they walked in. And then, hey, who are you? <laughs> oh, I want to be like that. Psalm 56.3, what time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. When I'm afraid, when I don't know what to do, God, I don't know, but I'm going to trust in you. Like I said, we like to focus in on this sinking aspect, but Peter walked out there. He did step out there. He walked on water. He actually stepped out of the boat. Not on a calm day. It's like us. We don't get the opportunity to get our feet wet. He's faced with this, just hit with that. That's how our storms come. It's not like God just gives us little platforms to step up to the really big storm that's coming. Maybe that has happened for some of you. But a lot of times what happens is you get a phone call. Things are going great. And then, boom. Whoa. Everything's different now. The, the, the movie I was just watching isn't pleasant anymore. The friend I was just chatting with, I don't really care about that conversation anymore. And everything's flipped upside down. We get thrown in. He was willing to do something that defied logic. This absolutely defies logic. We all know that people don't walk on water. It doesn't take... I bet you could ask... My youngest daughter, if she can walk on water, and she would say, well, she might say something crazy, but uh, she knows that she can't walk on water. She's been in the bath enough to know that she sinks. Um, this defies logic. I feel like often we're too afraid of the unknown. It goes against our logic to just trust. It goes against our logic to step out of that boat. It goes against our logic to just say, if I can't figure this all out and I can't determine how this is all going to happen, I'm not going to walk that path in. It's when we step out and say, God, there's no way that I understand this. And God, there's no way that I even see you in this. But I'm just walking and trusting in you. Think about when Abraham was asked to sacrifice Isaac. You think a lot he understood logic there? Like, you think he understood what was happening? Like, okay, you promised a son that would, like, I would have, like, the stars in the sky and the sands on the beach. Like, that's how my, my heritage would go, and now I'm killing that heritage? How does, how does this make any sense? You read through that passage, and everything's just connected. God said that, and Abraham did this, and then he did this, and then he did this, and then he did this. He was just obedience, trust. Why? Because God knows a lot more than he knew. Job, 
Why do I have to go through this? I'm perfect and upright. A man that feareth God and escheweth evil calls him like perfect. That's the guy to go through trials. That's the guy to deal with all of this. Yeah, why? I don't know. Trust. When we don't see why God is doing something, trust who he is. Trust his character. Trust that he knows so much more about the situation than you do. Can we trust God when it seems like he doesn't know what he's doing? That's a tough question. Peter walks on the water. Sure, he sank. But he trusted. He, he had his struggle, but he did walk out. Let's look at another spot, John 18, 10. His reactions. <laughs> I'm, I'm look at two different um, reactions that Peter had. One is a very physical action, and one is a more... A verbal action. But this first, uh, in 1810, they were, you know, Judas had betrayed. They were in the garden. The, the angry mob comes out. Then Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. All the other gospels include this. You know, that's a, that's a tough thing about being an apostle. We, how many years later, and we're still picking on Peter, and we're still reading about all this. Like, that's... Sorry, Peter. You did cut off this guy's ear, though. Um, nobody else named him, though. The, Matthew, Mark, and Luke would say a, uh, a certain disciple, or one of the disciples drew a sword and cut off. John just... hey. He wrote it later, so he probably saw Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what they wrote, and he's like, guys, let's clear this up. Simon Peter, let's call him out. Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Crazy thing. A bad aim? I don't know how he just cut off an ear. Um, but that's what, that's what happened. He had to have th- thought that he is doing the right thing. He had to have think, th- think that. He had to have been thinking that. I am doing the right thing. Chopping off this, I don't know what he was aiming at, but swinging this sword in this general direction is what I should be doing. Is, that was the logical thing in Peter's mind. Big mob, one guy with a sword. But he did see some pretty miraculous thing. Maybe he thought that if he swung the sword, Jesus was going to empower him like Samson, and he is just going to go like crazy on all these people. I bet he was looking forward to that. But in 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9, he writes this. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. That was not courteous, what he did. Not rendering evil for evil is how verse 9 starts. Or railing for railing, but contrary-wise... Blessing. That, I think that's what... I shouldn't tell that joke. Yeah. That's what he named his sword. Contrary-wise, blessing. Knowing that we are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Big difference between Second Peter and Peter in the garden. 
Evil for evil? Oh yeah, Peter was ready to be there. No, not in, later in his maturity, he says, not rendering evil for evil. Turn back, back to Mac, Matthew now, uh, Matthew chapter 16. This is, a pa- once again, a passage where we see a huge high point for Peter and then a really low point. Uh, verse, I don't want to go back too far, but it's, let me sum up. Basically, 13 through 17, he asks the disciples, who do you think I am? And they, and they go through the list, and Simon Peter stands up and says, um, he says, Simon, who am I? He says, thou art the, son, the, the Messiah, is basically what, the Son of God. And Jesus says, and I say unto thee, thou art Peter, verse 18, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt be loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is, I mean, a confidence builder for Peter, for sure. He has just given the right answer. And he has just told this, I mean, whew, man, this is pretty awesome. Uh, verse 20, then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Verse 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Like, you've got to understand, Peter, the whole, the whole thing. This is what has to happen. Yes, I'm going to be killed, but... You've got to listen to this final thing. I'm raised the third day and be raised again the third day. And Peter answers in verse 22. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine taking Jesus off to the side? I mean, listen, listen, Jesus, this is how it's going to go. Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. You are not going to go there. You are not going to die. I'm your bodyguard. I'm getting better with my sword. Like, you can, you can trust me. What? So you go from rebuking Jesus to verse 23. But he turned and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Wait, wait a second. I'm the rock. No, I'm the rock. Remember the whole build your church. I got the keys and everything. Satan, get behind me. Peter, there we go. You know, highs and lows. Um, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Like, your focus is on earthly things, Peter. Your focus is on what you see around you. You're not seeing the big picture. Trust me. Trust me. He gets rebuked. Sometimes I think we get a little bit like Peter. We get that boost of confidence. Boy, maybe I do know some things about God's word. And then we, then we go out and we really share that. And maybe lacking a lot of uh, wisdom in doing it. We speak more confidently than we should. We become authority on things that we really have very little knowledge of. We've got to be careful of our selfishness, our pride, our anger. You know, Peter just made these, these decisions quickly out of really foolish things. Um, sometimes we're going to have to act quickly. We will have to make quick decisions. And how, it's like, how do we prevent being really dumb and doing idiotic things when we have to make a quick decision? 
like, well, I don't have time to go home and read my Bible. I just need to. You had time to already read your Bible. Like that, I think that's the key. The closer that we walk to God, the more those quick decisions are become, they will be the right thing. If, if we are in constant relationship with God, if we are having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we're doing Bible study, we are praying and asking God to lead us and to guide our steps, when we have to make those quick decisions, we're not going to make a crazy decision. Hopefully. We're not going to make a crazy decision because we're already working our lives towards spiritual things. We're going to be a lot better at making those decisions because of our relationship with God. Now, if we just walk out of here and say, you know what, I go to church on Sunday mornings and, you know, boy, I get fed and I feel good about my spiritual life. I I feel like you're going to be lacking in your preparedness for situations that come up on a daily basis. If you're not feeding yourself God's word and you're not already just building a relationship and growing closer and closer to God, when you have to make those quick decisions, you might find yourself with a sword in your hand. You might find yourself saying something that you're like, whoa, a Christian should probably never say that. We need to be drawing ourselves closer and closer to God. So what, how does Peter react later? Well, turn to the book of Acts. Turn to the book of Acts. Um, I'm going to try to work quickly through these because my last point is dense. The book of Acts, we just see Peter doing great things. Acts chapter 3 um, He's, he's faced with this opportunity, this situation with this lame man. Um, now Peter and John, verse 1 of chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. Now you have to think, like what... What are the possibilities of Peter right here? Knowing the Gospels, what do you think are some possibilities from Peter? It's kind of endless what the possibilities are with Peter. But here's what he says. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I give thee, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. That was his response to this guy. I mean, it's pretty different. A very different Peter at this point. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood. That's pretty awesome. And walked. Um, And praise God. And it was an awesome... Okay, turn to like maybe a page over. Acts chapter 5. This is where I could see a different Peter coming out for sure. Acts 5.1 says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price. Oh man, Peter can handle this. Peter can deal with this. Um, And Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And keep back part of the price of the land, which it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto man, but unto God. And then Ananias hears this and falls down dead. You know what Peter did? He left it up to God. He, he declared the problem. He said, listen, this, this is wrong. This is what you have done. It would have been fine if you would have just been honest about this whole thing. Like, 
we're not requiring everybody to do this. Just be honest and speak up. But he, he just lets that happen, and then God took care of it. Sapphira, same thing happens later in the chapter. Uh, instead of ma- taking matters into his own hands, he let God handle it. Okay, maybe you're saying, well, your examples are after the crucifixion, the resurrection, Jesus, you know, being there and then ascending into heaven. Yeah, that's the stuff that we know too. Like, shouldn't, should that have made a huge difference on Peter's life? Yes. Does he now have the Holy Spirit? Yes. What? That's us. That's us. So instead of being Peter in the Gospels, we should be a lot more like Peter in Acts. We know the whole story. We're redeemed. We have the Holy Spirit. That is the Peter that we should be like. Let's mature. Uh, and, then, and then finally, we have to talk about the denial. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Verse 54 says, Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of an hour, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow was with him. He is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. This is, I think, by far the low point. The low point for Peter is this. Is he going to be faithful? Is he going to be committed? Or is he going to deny Christ? And we see that he denies him. In Matthew 20, you don't have to turn there. You kind of already seen it here at the end of this passage. But in Matthew 26, 33 through 35, he talks, Jesus tells him, listen, he, he says, all of you are going to be ashamed of me tonight. And Peter, obviously, it's Peter, steps up and says, you know, to the ends of the earth, Jesus, to the ends of the earth, I'm with you. And he said, you, tonight, three times before. He's like, I'll never, I'll never deny you. And then here it is. You know, would it be nice if we could have foreshadowing like that? Like Jesus told Peter tonight, three times specifically, you will deny me. Did that help Peter? And, and on one hand, I think, man, it would be nice to know how I'm going to mess up this week. Here's the thing, though. Maybe you're different. I think we already know. You already know what you struggle with, right? You already know the sin that gets into your heart. You already know the, the things that really, the, the sin that has a grasp in your life that you just, man, I just can't get away from this. Is that not the same thing? I mean, you know, 
this week, can you just not do that sin? I'm telling you right now, listen, this week, you're going to be, you're going to fall into that sin. Now, don't do it. I wish it was that easy, right? I wish it was that easy. And Peter, man, he, he, he had this foreshadowed before, hey, you're going to deny me. It did not help. It did not help. Um, knowing we will fail doesn't prevent it from happening. The consequences for Peter of claiming Christ seemed worse than denying him at this point. Once again, we just do what seems logical at the time. So in Peter's mind, the best solution to this right now is to deny. What would be the consequences if he claimed Christ? We, we really don't know. Maybe that they would have tried to crucify him with him. I, I, I don't know what the, the exact results would have been. But it was enough for Peter to say, I'll deny I'll deny that is the most logical thing for me to do at this point. Uh, a great passage in Hebrews 11 about Moses. It's in verse 24 through 26. It talks about he chose to suffer instead of live in the palace. And this is the phrase that says, esteeming the re reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Like Moses had to make that same decision too. That, you know what, it's going to be earthly-mindedness, earthly it's better off if I just deny God, if I just live this life the way that I want to, and that I just follow after the things that are nice and pleasant. But he esteemed, Moses esteemed greater riches to what? Be a slave, and then wander around the wilderness for 40 years. Like That was greater riches in his mind than it was to live in Egypt for a little bit of pleasure. So how do we deny him? I'm sure that you guys don't have nights like this where multiple times somebody comes up to you and says, are you a Christian? And you go, who? Me? No. I w Does that happen? I, I, I don't think that happens much in America uh, to you guys. Um, so how do we do this same thing? Maybe, maybe we do this to some degree with our friends, family, coworkers that we just don't ever talk about him or we don't ever, don't bring that up and if somebody else brings that up, we just kind of go around the issue. Like, we don't want to talk about spiritual things. Maybe that's a way that we deny him. Maybe it's in our commitment. I just don't have time, you know? I don't have time. There's a lot of priorities that I have above, above Christ. There's a lot of priorities I have above church. There's a lot of priorities that I have about, you know, within reading my Bible and following after God. In our actions, in our reactions, as we see with Peter, are we denying him in how we live our lives? Yeah, I go to church, check mark, and then the rest of the week, I just live the way that I want to, you know? Is that, I would say that that, in a way, is just denying Christ with your life. How you're living your life is denying Christ. Hopefully you have time for that. Later, Jesus asked Peter, this is incredible. He asks him three times. I don't, I, maybe you've made that comparison before, and you're like, well, yeah, I don't know. Peter denies him three times, and then when they're sitting there having the fish on the beach... He, Jesus looks at Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know that I love you. Then a second time, Peter, do you love me? You know that I love you. Well, it's third time. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Peter is extremely sorrowful. It talks about him going in verse 62 in Luke 22. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. So what do we see Peter doing after this when it comes to standing up for Christ? 
uh, we see great things. In the book of Acts, chapter 2 at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down. And, I, I, and just for the sake of time, I won't read through all of these. But in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down, mighty rushing wind. They're speaking in tongues. Everybody's like around Jerusalem saying, this is crazy. What's going on? And Peter stands up and he proclaims the gospel. I mean, he speaks with, I encourage you, this week read the first nine chapters of Acts. Um, incredible, incredible what Peter says. He stands up with boldness and he just speaks about Christ being the Son of God, the Messiah. Uh, in Acts chapter 3, we've already read that. After he heals the lame man, guess what happens? A crowd comes around. It's like this lame man just is jumping around. This shouldn't happen. And so they come around and Peter sees it and he proclaims Christ. And to some of the statements that he says, he says, he is the Son of God whom you crucified. Listen, the people that were there were the ones that were there. He's 50 days after. And so a lot of the people that he is pointing this finger to and saying it's in the power of Jesus Christ that this man is standing and that is the person that you crucified, he's probably pointing to, to some of the people that were in the crowd saying crucify him, crucify him. In Acts chapter 4, once again about the lame man, but now they get all the, the higher ups of the Jewish faith. They get the high priests and their families. And you read through Acts chapter 4 and you see the, whoa, he is in front of some heavy-duty religious people. And what is he? A fisherman? But he, once again, speaks with such boldness about Jesus Christ. And he looks at those people and says, whom you have crucified. Like truly the ones that took him before Pilate and had the trials. He looks at them and says, you crucified the Son of God, the Messiah. Boldness. Was he, what were the consequences there? Pfft. Yeah, he was standing, I mean, he wasn't alone, but he was standing up at the forefront saying, he is the Son of God and I will die for him. They throw him in prison. He gets out. Guess what he does again? He preaches. He'll face the consequences. How does Peter die? Not pleasantly. He spoke boldly. So in conclusion, we see that Peter overcome. He's an overcomer. Despite those failures that we see in the Gospels, those things where he struggled with trust, he struggled with his actions and his reactions, and he struggled with his faithfulness. Not in Acts. Not in 2 Peter. Just because you fall, just because you mess up and you say something very foolish or you do something extremely ungodly do you give up is that the end man i listen you don't know my history i have heard those words you don't know you don't know my past i i i, I can't serve god or maybe it's i'll just be in the background because I, I can't teach a sunday school class because boy you you wouldn't be you wouldn't believe my background or I can't serve in the ministry because all these things that have happened in my life. What? You chop off somebody's ear? You deny Christ? M maybe. Is God loving, forgiving, and caring and wants to use you? Yeah. Not, there is nothing that you could do that could completely say unusable. It's what you decide right now. It's what you decide tomorrow, whether you're going to be usable. 
We've got to be constantly killing the old man and putting on the new man. In 2 Peter, we see the last recorded words of Peter. He says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Continue growing. Use Peter as an example. We, I think we do the bad part okay. I think we do enough not trusting foolish actions and unfaithfulness. But are we stepping out on the water? Are we proclaiming Christ? And are we being gracious and loving in our actions? I think Peter is a great example for us. And I hope that I can be like Peter.